a little a little self disclosure to begin the evening uh, when the um, fireworks went off, I had what's called uh, sati or otherwise known as bare attention, but I did not have what often goes with bare attention in order to make it a, a full moment of mindfulness. I did not have clear comprehension. And uh, so bare attention, just to know that a sound is being heard, is one thing. But what we, often, what we need in our lives is clear comprehension to go along with it so that we know that it's fireworks and not a bomb, that we know that uh, it's being controlled and not, you know, you... So at first, I, even though I thought about it many times today, I forgot that this was uh, the day before Independence or Interdependence Day. Uh, but then I realized it, and I was still concerned about anybody playing with fireworks. But, but it did get me thinking, as you may be able to tell already. <laughs> and the funny thing was that it reminded it. It reminded that it was uh, so-called Independence Day tomorrow, 4th of July. People have forgotten that it was about about the uh, the settlers. I think I rem- I, I think that um, it was about a declaration of independence. It was about an independence from the from the oppressive British. Isn't that correct? The Okay, I don't need to get into the whole history, but at least that much we know. But that's not exactly where my mind went. It went to the evening or day, I'm not sure what it was, when the Buddha sat in the deer park in Sarnath in India and gave the, uh, the Dhammachaka Sutra, the, the turning of the wheel of the Dharma, where he taught the Four Noble Truths. I think I mentioned them last week in, in our evening of course, I don't. I'm not sure that I mentioned them last week, but but in that uh, teaching that he offered, with the words "ehipasiko opanayeko pachatan vedita bu winyuhiti," he he said, "For those who can be taught, for those who are interested, to come and see for themselves." And what he was doing in when he said, "Come and see for yourselves," he was he was. Uh, stating or he was exclaiming uh, a declaration of independence. He was saying that the, the Brahmins, the privileged, the wealthy, do not have a corner on the truth. He spoke into the heart of a deeply entrenched caste system where only those who were privileged had access to the wisdom teachings. And he said, Everybody has Buddha nature. Everybody has the capacity to awaken their hearts and minds, to be free in this very life. And he basically uh, just said, anyone, whether you're rich or poor, whether you are, whether you are, um, your height, your color, your whoever you are, you are free to see for yourself. Uh, the nature of the heart and mind, what binds us 
in cycles of misery and samsara and the endless search for a happiness that can only be found here and now, that these, these yearnings are universal. They can't, they're not just for the, for the wealthy and the privileged. So for 2,600 years, these teachings, the teachings of awakening, the declaration of independence from the, uh, from the teachings being, um, being exclusive to just a special few, they have been freely offered. They have been freely offered, and that spirit that we talk about every week at the end of our evening, in the spirit of dana. They're offered freely for three reasons. Because they are priceless, you can't put a price on them, so that they're accessible to everyone. And, of course, the last part is because the Buddha's tremendous emphasis on the power of giving freely, of the power of generosity. He said, if we knew how potent this power of giving freely was, we would not let a single meal pass without sharing it. That there's a, it's a tremendous source of joy in our lives to practice giving. But more importantly, for tonight's purposes, the teachings were given uh, freely so that they were accessible to everyone. And today, and when I look around this room, this, uh, this room is an example. Of course, it has something to do with the neighborhood. But this room, the teachings are often freely to everyone. Everyone is invited, whether your race, your sexual orientation, your, uh, your socioeconomic status or situation, rich, poor, everyone is invited here. This is, uh, this, it's freely offered. And every part of you is also welcome here. Every, every part of you is welcome here. And this is really the, the offering of the, of the teachings of awakening that not only is everyone free to be here, that everyone is welcome. Uh, and a lot of the motivation of the, of the settlers was, were to break through the caste system of the, of the British control. The freedom that we have just in general in this country relative to some places. Other places may be more free. But it, it is a, it's the outer expression of being able to be freely move, freely... You know, the truth is there, is, there is not another country in spite of all of our continued exclusivity, the continued entrenchment of, of our own version of the caste system. No other country... Could Barack Obama become president? It's really an expression of the direction of of being inclusive. And that's the outer expression of inclusiveness. The inner expression is the welcoming and the opening and the freely offered using ourselves and everything about us as the teaching as our practice, as you could say, our guru, using each other externally as our guru, using ourselves as our guru. The reason I'm using the language of guru 
tonight. I wasn't sure how this was going to flow together. But today is, uh, at least for a teacher that I sat with, and I'm not sure whether it's a one day for all gurus or, uh, or just for this particular teacher, but it is what's called Guru Purnima. I think that's the right pronunciation. It's a Sanskrit word or a Hindi word. But Guru Purnima is a very um, holy day for people who are devotees of teachers. And this is, uh, and it is the celebration of the guru, of the, of the teacher. But the deeper meaning of Guru Purnima is the, um, is the reminder that, um, that the guru is there to surrender to, to open to. But the deeper meaning of the word guru is that the, where you might want to ask, who's the guru? Where's the guru? The guru is you. The guru is us. In the teachings of the Buddha, the guru is the Buddha, not the, not the historical Buddha. That's, he's part of the pantheon of outer gurus. But the true guru is the Buddha within. Buddha means awake. The capacity in, in each of us to be awake. That's the guru. It's our intrinsic wakefulness. It is our intrinsic uh, awake presence. And what does this mean, awake presence? It's what is in you, what is there, that is neither, that is the very nature of your consciousness, that is neither born nor dies and follows you as one, as it's often said, nearer than your breath, through your highs, through your lows, through every stage of life, but it remains unmoved. It remains your innermost nature, the unconditioned, the unborn. But some would say it's as simple as the very awareness through which you're perceiving, the very consciousness through which you're perceiving, is the Buddha. And this is the guru. And the whole point of having a guru is to surrender to the guru. And so the, in the Buddha's teaching, and there's also Guru Purnima in the, Buddha's teach, in the Buddha's tradition too, and I'm not sure if that's the exact name. But in the Buddha's teaching, the encouragement is that you surrender to three, to three that you go to refuge, that you surrender to three elements. The, the Buddha which I just spoke about. The second guru is the Dharma, the truth, the way things are. Surrender to your life. It doesn't mean that you don't fix what needs to be fixed, but first and foremost, you open to your life just the way it is. That for at least some time in the span of your life, and hopefully all the time, you stop fighting with your life. You stop struggling. You open to the truth. I looked around a lot uh, for this example of surrender to the truth, of the guru as the truth uh, that Linda, our Linda, shared with me several weeks ago, a passage from one of uh, Annie Lamott's books. She said, uh, Annie Lamott uh, has a son named Sam who was 19 years old, or right around 19, and when his girlfriend got pregnant, 
which he writes was a lesson in trust and surrender, quote, I saw that either I could be a pain in the ass, no show, or I could understand that history was being made. So that's what we call surrender to the Dharma, to the truth of how things are. Not how we wanted them to be, not how they should be, could be, hope they will be, but how they are. His girlfriend is pregnant. History is being made. In fact, history is being made in every moment of your life. It is meant to be exactly as it is right now. How do we know that? Because that's how it is. Whatever is in your mind, whatever is in your life, whatever is in your body, your guru is speaking. It's the truth. This is what the Buddha suggested you do. Now, of course, it wasn't just limited to your life in every moment. It was the truth about the... It was really surrender to the teachings, to use the teachings, use them well, study, freely offered for those who, to see for yourself whether they're true, but to study them, using the very stuff of your own life to see uh, what makes you tick, to see if what he said is true, that grasping the impermanent makes you suffer, that avoiding the unpleasant makes you suffer, that being in a state of wanting, even though superficially, fills us with delight, the delight in the state of craving, underlying it, we're feeding a sense of dissatisfaction. Every moment our mind inclines or becomes obsessed with what's next. We miss. We, we, we declare to ourselves that our life is not okay the way it is. Over and over again. And then, then wonder why we feel anxious, Worried because our life becomes a projection of all of our happiness into an imagined future that never arrives because time is only now, here. And this is, uh, this is what the teaching suggests, but the invitation is not to believe this, but surrender to the examination of what it's like. What's it like to be in a state of wanting and craving and waiting and hoping? What's it like to be in a state of ease and balance and relaxation? Do conditions have to change in your life in order for you to feel okay? What are you holding out for? What are you waiting for? And how does that feel? What's, what's, what's that about? This is all surrender to the truth. Using the truth as your refuge. The Dharma, the teachings, they are vast and I, could, I can't get into all of them, but it's, uh, the ones that are coming to mind right now are the, that when, you're, when you act, when your mind is filled with greed or hatred or ignorance, suffering follows. When it's filled with love and generosity, caring, it, happiness follows, delight follows. And we can test this out. That know what's in your mind. Know what's driving your actions. Know what your motivations are. Because if your motivations are just about you, uh, it builds more selfishness and more separ- separation. If it's more about a sensitivity and an openness to the impact that you are continually having on not just yourself, but on everyone else who has to live with you, uh, you're... You're, if you have sensitivity to that, the results of your actions may be different. 
the very same action. So to continually look at what is driving our our thoughts, what are driving our words, what are driving our actions. Do I want to hurt somebody with my words? I've had that habit in my life. I've had to. Re- I have to still continually monitor that tendency to want to harm with words. Of course, I try to help with words too, but I still have that uh, that um, streak of when I get triggered. And the the Dharma says. Pay attention. What's the result of that? How do you feel when you act out of ill will and speak out of ill will and think out of ill will? Usually unhappiness follows. What happens when you're oriented by love and caring again? Your heart warms. You may, it may break, but it warms. And you feel more whole. You feel more connected. So on this um, Declaration of Freedom Day, or this uh, Independence Day, we are reminded that we are free to awaken. We are free to, we don't have to, just because we, whatever our life situation, it's, they, no one can take away our capacity to pay attention, to learn, to grow, to have our heart open, even in health. That can't be, nobody, that is free. And you are fundamentally free. All of us are. And you hear stories of people in the worst conditions uh, being able to um, thrive in spite of the, the, I think of the, some of the Thich Nhat Hanh writings about the, about the people in, during the Vietnam War and the, the bombs and the and the uh, the sea pirates and the and the rapes and the, uh, the horrendous things, and yet uh, in the midst of it, people keeping their heart open and and not shutting down. And this is the this is the possibility that we all have. You can think of also your guru as uh, not only your own mind. Uh, your own capacity to be aware, to be awake, to be free in spite of circumstances. But your own guru is also that which we surrender to is our own conscience, our own intelligence, our own love, all of it. It's all within us. Again, not dependent on circumstances or class, race, color, whatever it is. Uh, We are free. We're free. And yet we have this amazing guru, everyone, the guru in the form of our conscience, in the form of our, our responsive hearts, our intelligence, the capacity even to hear that sound and to comprehend that that's, that's just fireworks and know whether I need to be concerned or not. This is, a, this is intelligence, and we can rely on our intelligence. We're not, we don't have to rely on any external authority. Our guru is also our actions, as I said before. What we do with our mind and our body, it's our teacher. Whatever our actions are, just they always have results. Whatever you think produces results. So many people have been telling me lately, talking to me, about when they 
think very negatively and when they think very uh, with scarcity. Any of you ever do that? Negatively, scarcely, the whole world then appears and almost conspires to agree with you. And then when your mind eases a little bit, your heart softens a little bit, you're more open, then all of a sudden there's a kind of magnetism of the wholesome, of things that are they come to you in unexpected ways. And yet, of course, we cannot, we cannot govern a lot of what comes into our mind, but how much we feed what comes into our mind, that we have a tremendous power. We have an inner guru that can help us discern what should be listened to and what should be uh, fed and what should be abandoned. And the Buddha spoke really clearly about what he called the four efforts, the effort to cultivate the wholesome, to really generate day after day, uh, moment after moment, things that keep reminding us of our extended family, that inclusivity, and to abandon the unwholesome, things that lead to us feeling separate, cut off, negative, dark, um, cut off from the flow of life, like the one wave that's gotten separated from the ocean, uh, that falling into delusion. Stop doing those things that lead us to feel miserable, whatever it is that we have the power to do. This is our guru. And then, of course, he said to maintain the wholesome and uh, prevent the unarisen unwholesome from arising, which means make your heart and mind so strong, so deeply rooted to the present that it almost prevents your, uh, prevents your mind tripping out too much about what's happened before and what's to come next because what's happened before is gone. And it's fine, it's wonderful sometimes to be able to think about the past and the present and be able to vision the future in the, uh, in the present, vision what might happen, but they don't really exist. And so to be able to uh, not dwell so much in our imagination uh, to the extent that we miss our life. That's what we started with tonight. The whole point of our practice is arrived at in the very moment that we're sitting. The whole purpose. It's not to get to the end of the evening. It's not to learn something that you can use in your life. It's for just being together. There's nothing sweeter than this moment. And I'm sure a few of you, probably many of you, are waiting till it's over. And that's a that's a kind of trance that we tend to fall into in our life. Our inner guru can wake up and and notice what's here, what's true, what's now. You know, if it is, if you are waiting to the end of the evening, notice that. Oh, waiting to the end of the evening. Here's from Galway Canal. It says, whatever what is, is, is what I want. Only that, but that. And as truth is our guru, I'll just share this wonderful passage from Ashvagosan. I think this is from the 7th or 8th century, believe it or not, where he talks about the Dharma, about the truth. The Dharma of the Buddha does not require a person to go into homelessness or to resign from the world. 
unless he or she feels called upon to do so. But the Dharma of the Buddha requires every person to free themselves from the illusion of self. To me, when I hear the illusion of self, just for our purposes tonight, free ourselves from the illusion of separateness. The illusion of self tends to be what binds, what makes us feel separate, cut off from each other. The Dharma of the Buddha requires every person to free themselves from the illusion of self, to cleanse one's heart, to give up one's thirst for pleasure. It doesn't mean give up pleasure. Give up one's thirst for pleasure and lead a life of righteousness. And whatever people do, whether they remain in the world as artisans, merchants, or officers of the queen and king, or retire from the world and devote themselves to a life of religious meditation, let them put their whole heart into their task. Let them be diligent and energetic, and if like the lotus flower, which grows out of muddy water but remains untouched by the mud, they engage in life without cherishing envy or hatred, And if they live in the world, not a life of self, but a life of truth, then surely joy, peace, and bliss will dwell in their hearts and minds. So the last, I realize this could be five nights of talks, but since we don't only have a few minutes left, the third of the, of the gurus that the Buddha spoke of, he spoke of the guru as the Buddha, the, the wakefulness within, the Dharma, the truth, the way things are, teachings. And last but not least, your other guru, your third guru, is what's called the Sangha, the community. The Sangha is... Traditionally, the Sangha was what's called the Arya Sangha, the Sangha of awakened beings, the spirit or the stream of compassion and generosity that has kept the teachings alive for 2,500 years. But the more immediate sense of the Sangha, Sangha means community. It is the community of of support, of like-minded support for our practice. But for the purposes of our conversation this evening, Sangha is everyone. Sangha is everything. Sangha is every smell, every sight, every feeling, everything that presents itself within and without is our Sangha. That is our guru. And that means that we, the whole of our practice is to relate to everything and everyone with the same mindful attention, and open heart. Reflecting, again, that um, inclusivity of the teachings, the inclusivity of, of all things, everyone and everything being invited to within the, the state of our consciousness, within our mind. Everything invited. So that means that we, from the moment we begin our practice till our dying day, we continually widen our circle of sangha, widen our circle of affection. We start with those who are easy to include, those parts of ourself that are easy. Then we start expanding. Then we include the people who have helped us. We include 
the people who are near and dear to us. We include then the people who we mostly don't notice. We start reflecting on the people who are being incarcerated, invisible to us. We, we start to include as our circle, as our sangha, those who uh, wait on us every day, those who serve us, those, the invisible network of support that we have, the people who wash the streets, the people who pick up the garbage, the, the neutral people who we don't really know, but they're, they're all part of our sangha. And then finally, this is a great challenge in these, and I know these divisive times are no different than any other time, but we expand our circle of goodwill to include the people who we consider our enemies or the difficult people. And we attempt to make everybody our sangha. We don't put anybody out of our hearts. Because the truth is, if we see through that self-illusion, we are as intimately connected to our enemies as we are to our friends. And it is a quirk of consciousness that makes us think otherwise. And as long as our mind keeps dividing, keeps its circle of affection and goodwill narrow, the world will be just the way it is. I think I shared last week the words of Sri Nisargadatta where he said, the world is the way it is because people are the way they are. And as long as people are the way they are, the world will be the way it is. And if we want a peaceful, connected world, you have to have peaceful and connected people. It's not something that can be imposed. It has to start within the expanse of our own guru, our own Buddha nature, our own heart. So for that, um, we, for that purpose, we need some practices. We need some reflections and I've brought along a few tonight, and we'll close with this. First, we'll start with just a little expansion of our uh, mind to remind us that um, this is not really a meditation yet, although you can keep meditating. This is a reflection on our whole world that we share, and it makes it a little bit more accessible, put in these terms. If we could shrink the Earth's population to a village of precisely 100 people with all existing human ratios remaining the same, it would look something like the following. There would be 57 Asians, 21 Europeans, 14 from the Western Hemisphere, both North and South, 8 Africans, 52 would be female, 48 would be male, 70 would be non-white, 30 would be white, 70 would be non-Christian, not the same 70, 30 would be Christian, not the same 30, 89 would be heterosexual, 11 would be homosexual, 6 people would possess 59% of the world's entire world's wealth, All six would be from the United States. Eight would live in substandard housing. Eighty would live in substandard housing. I'm sorry. Seventy would be unable to read. Fifty would suffer from malnutrition. One would be near death. One would be near birth. One, yes, only one would have a college education. 
one would own a computer. If you woke up this morning with more health than illness, you are more blessed than a million, the million who will not survive this week. If you've never experienced the danger of battle, the loneliness of imprisonment, the agony of torture, or the pangs of starvation, you are ahead of 500 million people in the world. If you can attend a temple or a church or other religious meeting without fear of harassment, arrest, torture, or death, you are more blessed than 3 billion people in this world. This is our Sangha. If you have food in the refrigerator, clothes on your back, a roof overhead, and a place to sleep, you are richer than 75% of the world. If you have money in the bank and your wallet and spare change in a dish someplace, you're among the 8% of the world's wealthy. If your parents are still alive and still married, you are very rare, even in the U.S. and Canada. If you can read this message, you just received another blessing in that you are more blessed than over 2 billion people in the world who cannot read at all. So as our Sangha, what happens? What does your heart do when you, when you hear this, when you are reminded of the, the larger circle of your consciousness, of your, of your, your own life? Your, doesn't your heart move a little bit? Doesn't it? Isn't it, isn't it moved toward caring? It's easy to go to sleep and, and just get lost in our own uh, internal. And this is human and innocent, and so have a lot of compassion for yourself. But we tend to get really absorbed in our own internal drama and forget our place in the, in the family of, of beings. So some of the teachings remind us of our interdependence. Thich Nhat Hanh says, as he describes our interbeing with, uh, through the, um, uh, through describing the chrysanthemum, he says when we look into this beautiful chrysanthemum, we get the impression that this flower is full of the cosmos. Everything in the cosmos is there in the flower, including the cloud, the sunshine, the soil, minerals, time and space. Everything it looks. Everything. It looks like the whole cosmos has come together to manifest the flower. The one contains the all. And that's you. There is only one thing that is not there. That is a separate entity, a separate existence. The flower is full of the cosmos of everything else, but the flower is empty of a separate self. No separate self. That is the first meaning of emptiness. You cannot be, your, you cannot be by yourself. You have to interbe with the cosmos. And we all are, and we are all in you. If you look deeply into yourself, you see all of us in you. This is the beginning of the contemplation of interbeing, focusing on the teachings of emptiness, emptiness of self, full of everything. So out of this reflection, the Dalai Lama, for example, practices every day with this, um, with this prayer. He wakes up extending his heart every single morning. You know, I don't know if you're aware of this. He wakes up and at least my, he used to, he may not do this at this point, but for countless years, he did four hours of practice every morning before the sun rises. 
And this is one this is his daily prayer. May I become at all times, both now and forever, a protector of those without protection, a guide for those who have lost their way, a ship for those with oceans to cross, a bridge for those with rivers to cross, a sanctuary for those in danger, a lamp for those without light, a place of refuge for those who lack shelter, and a servant to all in need. Dalai Lama's Daily Prayer. And the five training guidelines that the Buddha recommends, a reminder that we, we don't exist apart from each other. Every day, not only are we free, but we are also, this is interdependence day. Aware of the suffering caused by violence, the first precept. I undertake the training to avoid killing living beings or committing other violence. I will practice kindness. Can we all do this together? Take this, just reflect on this. Aware of the suffering caused by theft, I undertake the training to avoid taking what is not freely given. I will practice generosity. Aware of the suffering caused by sexual misconduct, I undertake the training to avoid expressing sexuality that separates or causes pain. I will practice sexuality that connects and causes happiness. Aware of the suffering caused by harmful speech, I undertake the training to avoid lying, harsh speech, slander, and idle speech. I will practice communication that is true, appropriate, and kind. Aware of the suffering caused by intoxication, I undertake the training to avoid intoxicants that cloud the mind and lead to heedlessness. I will practice clarity of mind and openness of heart. So I think what I'd like to do as an end is to chant together. This will tie us with the Arya Sangha, the Sangha of of practitioners over 2,500 years. We'll chant in Pali. I'll tell you what you're chanting first before we do it, just so you don't feel wigged out by the, the strange language. Essentially, we will be chanting by this practice and according in accord with the with the the dharma i honor the buddha remember how i spoke about the buddha it doesn't have to be the historical one it's the one within i honor the buddha i honor the dharma i honor the sangha i honor my i honor my mother and my father i honor my teachers may all beings all living beings all creatures all individuals all personalities all females all males all noble ones, all who are not so noble, all deities, all humans, all those in unhappy states. May they be free from enmity. May they be free from mental suffering. May they be free from physical suffering and take care of themselves happily. May they be free from suffering. May they enjoy safety and abundance. May they have their karma as their true property. May all beings be happy. And then we'll chant the word sadhu three times at the end. This is call and response. Imaya Damanu Imaya Dhamma Patipatiya 
Buddham Pujemi Imaya Damanu Dhamma Patipatiya Dhammam Pujemi Imaya Damanu Dhamma Patipatiya Sangam Pujemi Imaya Damanu Dhamma Patipatiya Mata Pitunam Pujemi Mata Pitunam Pujemi Imaya Damanu Dhamma Patipatiya Acharyanam Pujemi Sabe Sata Sabe Pana Sabe Puhuta Sabe Pugala Sabe Atabawa Pariapana Sabaitio Sabe Purisa Sabe Arya Sabe Anarya Sabe Dehiwa Sabe Manusa Sabe Winipatika Winipatika I wear a horn too Apya Paja horn too Paja hon tu, Aniga hon tu, Sukiatanam, Pariharan tu, Dukamuchan tu, Yatalada. Sampatito Mawiga Chantu Kamasaka Sabe Sata Suki Hontu Together Sadu three times Sadu Sadu, Sadu. That means well spoken or excellent, excellent, well done.
So not much need at this point to share the blessings of our practice, but uh, I always like to remind us at the end, just consider if there's been any benefit to us being together that we share it uh, freely with all beings everywhere. And just punctuate that with a deep wish that all beings can have happiness and peace in their lives and the causes of happiness increasing. That all beings can be free of suffering and the causes of suffering decreasing. That all beings can recognize the, the guru within as your own nature and not stray away from this. Surrender to this. It wants to be surrendered to. And a deep wish that all beings at least can grow in serenity and equanimity, able to meet the inevitable joys and sorrows with less reactivity. And a deep wish that all beings can widen their circle of caring and not put anyone out of their hearts. May all beings be free. May we all be free. Happy Independence Day. So thanks for sitting through my meandering mind. <laughs> Appreciate you going on the ride with me. Uh, just a brief reminder of the room rental Donna basket, $150 a week. You, It's your group. We're all in this, in this together. Without your help, it can't happen. And there are many ways to offer Donna for teacher Donna or the room rental Donna. And you can, if you'd like your offering to be tax-deductible, uh, we are given the opportunity to write checks to the church here, the St. John the Evangelist Episcopal Church. Put Mission Dharma on the memo line, and it can be tax deductible. And, and you can uh, get a letter, et cetera, et cetera. But any kind of offering, any kind of generosity is deeply appreciated. And I hope you all have a happy day tomorrow and day off. And But may every day be your Independence Day. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.